There we go. Okay, great. Yeah, it, cha it changes the mode of the wave once you once you hit record. Welcome to Podcast Society presents John Luke Roberts. John Luke Roberts is a wonderful actor, comedian, and comedy writer, and he is just excellent. We talked late last year, and since then he now has a comedy vinyl he's working on called Is It Better, which you can pre-order from his website. If you want to hear more of our shows, such as our last interview with Dan Schreiber and Andrew Hunter-Murray from No Such Thing as a Fish, or our upcoming one with Alex Horn of The Horn Section and Taskmaster, then make sure to subscribe and follow us on our social media at Exeter Podcast and Facebook.com slash Podcast Society. But without further ado, here is John Luke Roberts. I'm a bit worried it's actually, I'm not sure what I have to say, but yes, Karen. Well, I saw you at the Fringe last time the Fringe happened uh -huh. uh, when you were doing After Me Comes the Flood. So, And I yeah. met you briefly after that mm -hmm. when um, I, I came up to you uh, just to talk to, uh, talk to you afterwards and uh, I mentioned that I liked your outro music being Flood from Ah, uh, right, yes, yes. Yeah. And you said that I was the only one who'd got that. At that yeah, point. so far two, but yeah. only two. Oh wow! Including the um, tour, actually. <laughs> yeah, but it's only two who mentioned it. But I think probably yeah. it's not many more than two who who noticed the joke. There was probably at least one other person because when I, at, when I told you that at that moment, someone you'd just been talking to, who had just walked off, ran back into the <laughs> room, tapped me on the shoulder. And said to me the phrase, oh, I don't know, you must be thinking of some other band. And then walked off again because he was in a rush. Uh, which uh, I realise must have been confusing for you. It's the phrase that you say to someone else who's in the fan club of They Might Be Giants. Right. Um, and so he definitely noticed. Uh, right. But that was a really surreal moment where I was talking to you and then this person came up, said that, and then ran off immediately after. Yeah. Um, <laughs> um, but yeah, I wanted to... Um, start by uh, asking you about about that show oh yeah um, after me comes the flood but in french drip splosh splash drip blub 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 yeah yeah um i wanted to ask uh when it comes to a show like that so you had the punchlines where you reveal them all at the start on that big screen behind you how does that affect the the writing of a of a stand up show um, so yeah, f for that one, I gave all the punchlines away at the beginning. It, it, so the idea came um, quite early. In terms of how it actually affected it, um, I, I don't think it changed the writing much at all because it turns out most jokes you can. So uh, sorry, for some jokes, like a one line of the punchline actually can go before the feed line, and the the penny just drops at a different point. So. Some of them work like that, where it's funnier if you put the punchline first and then the feed line becomes the punchline. And then for the longer sketches, um, it really just became sort of hiding things in plain sight. So people laughed because they hadn't realised they'd seen the payoff for the sketch um, already. Does that make sense? Uh, everything yes, I'm saying does, sounds... Yeah. Uh, it's coming out of my mouth. I'm thinking, wait, does this sound... Is this making any sense at all? No, that that definitely resonates with me because when I when I saw one of the distinct things I remember is sitting in the crowd and parts of the crowd laughing before I'd got the joke because they remembered seeing the punchline on the screen behind you and I was going wait which one is it and then you'd say it immediately after and I go oh of course it was that one and yeah. so there was kind of a game of trying to get to it before you. 
Yeah, I think that's, it's always, Steve Martin had a thing about, um, he, he writes about it in his book, Born Standing Up, I think it's called, where he, he talks about um, laughter is a release of tension. Uh, so he decided not to put punchlines in so that the audience wouldn't know when to laugh and they'd all just start laughing randomly at different times so that it becomes this kind of hysterical <laughs> yeah. thing. So I think, it, yeah, that it's a good way of getting people t- to the laughter bubble over because different people in the room are having slightly different experiences and getting things at slightly different times, which is good for keeping that, um, yeah, the atmosphere turning. I did it uh, years ago. I did a show about my um, dad uh, after he died and it was, um, uh, I dressed up as him and sort of performed the show as, as him and different audience members would find it. You'd, I'd be able to look out and see somebody who was furious, somebody who was laughing and somebody who was crying. And that I think was sort of the, I managed to, that really worked in terms of a lot of different energies coming from different people at the same time. Um, and had a particular, like, it's good. It's, it works that I think. Although it, yeah. Especially because stand up, you get in such a feeling of, um, you really want to control the audience. And sometimes that goes a bit far, you know, because the, because the way jokes work, it's, oh, I need to laugh here and I need to laugh here. And actually the things you can put into to lose that control can often make for a better uh, experience. Mm-hmm. So when uh, they're doing your show, I remember thinking at the time that it was all very, it felt very loose and like you had these punchlines that you were going to get to as these beats, but that it was very loose around that. But I talked to someone else who'd seen it the day before afterwards. And I was mentioning these parts that I thought had been completely made up on the spot by you. And they were like, no, 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 he made that up in my show. Yeah. And I was like, no, no, he made <laughs> that up during mine. Um, I, I, it's not that it's not, what did I say? I think it's, it's just not quite got the, there were new things a lot of the time and an awful lot of sort of improvisation on stage, but things would then stay for a while. It's more that the kind of, um, the cycle would, was, slightly longer so that if you saw I think probably if you saw it a week apart it would be more noticeably different than um a day apart or two days but part of the trick is when you that first time you come up with something and you find it funny and it's in the moment that's great yeah but it's a shame (laughs) to not like um keep that and so yeah there is that slight uh it's not really uh, yeah, there, there is that element of making it seem like it's new, but you're doing it to yourself as well. You're making yourself feel like the thing is new at the same time. There was one bit which went completely out of control, um, <laughs> but then like the Mr. Haribo sketch, which yes, yeah. By the end of the, it was a really simple sketch to begin with, and by the end of it, it just went off completely. But that was that was over the space of about a month. I think there was maybe one big day when I just sort of lost it on stage and it transformed <laughs> and then after that you, uh, you maybe you've got four or five performances before you have to find a new way of surprising yourself with it because otherwise it will go stale I suppose yeah so how's being a comedian been in this lockdown for you uh, <laughs> well <laughs> it's it's a tough tough time for people relying on live gigs and such 
Yeah, and I just had to, I mean, the live gigs obviously have gone out the window. There's no, I haven't been able to really earn a living, I mean, obviously through um, online gigs. Uh, there was the stage towards the, I mean, first off, we went, so it started in March and fairly quickly realised Edinburgh wasn't going to happen. And for me, I've always, um, I mean, I've done that Edinburgh for nearly, I mean, like 18 years, I think, almost every year, in one way or another, uh, and then solo shows for eight of those years. And I, Edinburgh became the main thing that I worked towards in a year. So it was strange having that taken away. It was also, in a way, a bit of a relief. Um, Yeah. Because it really does dominate... For me, at least, it, it's dominated my my creative year a lot. And you spend six months working towards this one-hour show, then you do it in Edinburgh. Then I've just started sort of touring shows in the last few years. But um, so in a way, it was a relief. I realised, perhaps oddly, in the early months, in the first month or two, I thought, hang on, I don't really miss live performing. And that carried on for a while. And then I started to miss it. And I think I, I sort of realised... I had been doing it too much when there were other creative outlets that I liked, but it was a, it was finding out that balance. And I think in a way, and I'm not overly looking for plus points about the pandemic, but there was a bit of self-knowledge came from it in that way. Um, But I mean, I, I do miss being in front of a crowd. I've done it twice or three times this year. Once was at a festival called Also Festival, which they I think was the only festival that was given the go ahead to happen, which was very reduced numbers and sort of all COVID compliant and things. And that was I went on stage and it was both um, weirdly, like really emotional. <laughs> I, I sort of nearly yeah uh, yeah I could I could sort of feel feel it welling up, um, but at the same time it wasn't a very good um, it wasn't a very good gig because um the audience was so spread out and and what you need to do as a stand-up is get this room of disparate people to act to act like one unit so you didn't get that it was still you know it was it was fine and there was obviously people very happy to be there and sort of excited um but it's been i mean it's been hard Work-wise, it has allowed me to pursue projects that I may may have not got around to. Um, but it's odd, and doing things online is odd. I've just started sort of doing Twitch things, and was doing a, a sort of weekly show for a while with Johnny uh, Donahoe, Josie Long, and Paddy uh, Jervers, and it's fun. But you don't have any feedback. You know, you, if anything, yeah. you get people writing feedback. Some of them have have managed to get kind of Zoom audience in the room. And that's fine. That sort of works. But you also do see yeah. people like people are much, you know, more willing to just look at their phones in the middle of a gig in an online <laughs> one than they would be in a live audience. Yeah. And you, you're a writer, obviously, for shows like Have I Got News for You, but you're also a writer for Troubled Waters as well. Yeah. The the podcast. How is obviously that's changed a bit in format? Has that changed much? Oh, in lockdown. Well, the first thing we did when we thought that. In fact, because it's actually it's troubled waters changed as a podcast quite severely in the last few years because it was international waters and the kind of premise of it was American 
comedians versus British comedians. That's why I yeah. was brought in as a writer because I, as I was the British writer, and then then they changed it. it. We sort of talked about worked out the new thing, which was keeping the format, but keeping it in America. And I was I'm, I'm a kind of appendix left from the um, <laughs> the days when it was a ruminant. Uh, and then yeah, in lockdown we. I think at first we thought, oh, because weirdly, I think LA went into a lockdown about the same time as we did. And obviously, yeah, I work yeah. remotely on the show anyway. Um, I think we t- we tried first off doing this um, play at home version, which was moderately, I think we're quite excited about. It. I'm not sure it went down. Uh, How did that brilliantly work? Well, um, what did we do? God, my memory is so bad. Uh, the idea was. It was like, um, you know, a nightmare. You know, remember Nightmare, the board game? Is this a no? Vaguely, no. I vaguely. think this is probably too uh, too distant uh, memory. <laughs> but you had a video. Uh, you put it in your VCR, and there'd be a oh, man right, yes, dressed, those. Yeah, he'd be a zombie, and then he'd get worse and worse as the game went on, and you'd get instructions from the video while you were trying to play. Um, they must have moved to DVD, I guess. Later, I mean, I suppose I was playing this when I was eight or something. Um, I think I had one of those for it was a, I think it was from Lazy Town, you know the kids the kids. Show. Oh right, I think I think they did one of those. Okay, right. Or it was some some other thing like that. But yeah, yeah, nothing ever dies. It's just recycled. Um, we try <laughs> we tried to do it like that, like so that Dave would host uh, and that he'd set the games for the people at home to play. Um, but uh, I, I think it was when the, that we sort of did that when lockdown was just starting and it seemed novel. And I think everyone had the idea that it, it wasn't going to be for a huge amount of time. Um, yeah. And then slowly you sort of adjust to it. And then we worked out the better thing to do, I think was to just adapt the show um, given the constraints. And that really meant just losing um, instead of two teams of two moving to two individuals because recording over zoom and um uh whatever that i mean clean feed or whatever they use oh in fact i think people record themselves and then send it into christian who uh, edits it um yeah was the best way to do it and actually uh, it didn't change it much and um certainly hasn't harmed it i think i i, I think in a way three people with four games is um i mean three people in, including dave just worked quite well really but yeah, yeah there wasn't that much we haven't had to adapt it that much once i think we panicked at the beginning thought we did and then it turns out no you just you just need fewer people so there's fewer technical problems because you can't get people in the studio what's the process of writing like for uh troubled waters where does that where do you start from and uh to what extent do you write a whole episode yourself or is it entirely collaborative are you there on a call together no, we so um, I write it with Riley. Riley's the head writer, and she was during the International Waters phase as well. Um, we start writing it about a week before the recording. It's not really a very... Basically, we throw a few ideas around beforehand with the producers, Christian and Laura too, over email. And then we write on a shared Google Doc. We take generally two rounds each, um, and just just fill them in and then uh, make suggestions to each other's rounds. It's really, it's not that 
exciting. The way to, I mean, if something works, we'll, <laughs> if something works, we'll try and do it again. Um, so that, like, I ended up doing every few weeks or every uh, few episodes, I do a, a limerick-based round because that's fun to write and people seem to enjoy them. When it comes to the trivia rounds, we always try to write questions where making a it will work to make a funny answer rather than just to get it yes. right. Yeah. Um, and then there's various completely nonsense rounds where it's just um, like we've done um, memory games with boxes, imaginary boxes, sort of music tracks in so that you can match it up to the cover so that it's just a stupid yeah, yeah. gameplay mechanic where that plays out. And then the improv games where we let we give them a thing to do and they and then they do it. You you've also got the it's quite handy to be able to cut things if they don't work. And we often overwrite so there's more there's like yeah more questions in the round than you need to do it. In general don't theme them, but you to keep things going, you know, if it's an episode like I think for forty two for episode forty two, Riley wrote a Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy round um, because of the the number. Uh, if you know it's going out at Christmas, then you'll put a load of Christmas rounds. The tricky one recently was writing, and there was one to be written and recorded before the election, which would come out after the election. But handily, yes, yeah. because it's not a topical show, I think we just decided, oh, let's just completely ignore it. Whereas <laughs> I think for other things, it would have been yeah. it would have been trickier. It's also weird, like for that one, we. Um, made sure to what, what happened because there's always that worry there were i mean coming up to the election there was the worry of if we're recording the day afterwards um what's the mood <laughs> going to be like like you, you know you yes. didn't know how this thing yeah. was going to go uh and certainly in the past so we we gave ourselves an extra week for that which unfortunately meant one week less to write the next one um, yeah one week fewer rather um sorry i'm a pedant mainly to myself it's not a very laborious process. Um, and Riley and I, I think, have generally found our niches in writing the the rounds that suit us and knowing kind of what to add to each other's rounds. In the last one of these I did, I talked to um, Dan and Andy from No Such Thing as a Fish. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, and they were talking about when they did their, uh, their TV show version, No Such Thing as a News, and they recorded an episode before the last American election... Uh, that was going to come out the day after. And it, the turnaround was overnight on the episode because they yeah. had to edit it that night. So what they did was they recorded two shows, one for if Trump won and one for if Hillary won, with two different moods, which <sighs> they didn't think anyone else had really done. And they got halfway through editing the Hillary one, thinking she'd win. And then at like three in the morning, they had to go, well, okay, we're going to have to change this. And then they started editing the other episode. Yeah, it's a funny old thing that I, I, like years ago when I was writing on the news quiz for the Radio 4 quite regularly, and you'd always record on the Thursday for it to be broadcast on the Friday, which, and again, normally we think we have elections on Thursdays. So it was always a tricky thing to square. I then went, uh, when I was in, um, I visited New York quite a while ago when the Colbert show was still being made. And I saw a recording, and it was it was kind of amazing. What it was like six, it was about six p.m. He did he recorded pretty much to the time of the episode, like there wasn't any lag, and then it went out that evening. And I think there's something about the probably we can't 
afford the rooms full of writers you'd need here to get that kind of turnaround because it really was incredible because you know a day is a normal amount of time to edit a show together and get it right but um it's possible to do it quicker i think you've got the resources yeah it was amazing it really was kind of uh just the skill he had uh and of course the team behind it but it was like it was a bit daunting really yeah yeah so I, I was, we were talking about Troubled Waters, but I wanted to ask you about um, po- other podcasts generally in terms of what, what podcasts you listen to and yeah. what your taste in them is. Is um, there a particular favourite you've been listening to recently? Or? I sort of wear them out. I get really into a podcast and then listen to so much of it that I start to dislike it. Um, that's not yeah. always true. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I certainly, uh, and, uh, and now it's hard to mention one of those. So I won't mention a podcast I've done that with because I figure if I do then it sounds like a criticism when it's not really. Um, yes. It's just you can... I've only really started to listen to podcasts in the last year or so. Um, as I've... Actually, I learned to drive two years ago, and I think that after that, that's sort of when I started <laughs> listening to them. Um, I really enjoy yeah. uh, Pappy's Flatshare Slam Down, um, sort of as a listener. I've been on one of them, Ooh. but it's uh, very funny. So Pappy's are a sketch group, or used to be a sketch group, I guess they are a sketch group, but they there's it's a panel game. It's very silly. The the setup is that they are in a flat together. Matthew is the landlord, and um, and Tom and Ben are the uh, the flatmates, the tenants, and they've got they're competing to not have to do something, so that the loser will have to arrange the train tickets or fix the right, bathroom yes. or whatever. And each one brings along a comedian as a sort of guest. So it's a really stupid setup, quite convoluted, but it's just an excuse for lots of silly games. And it is, uh, yeah, it's, that's a lot of fun. Um, I think beef and dairy is generally hard to beat in terms yes, of yeah. uh, finish because, and this actually is a podcast I'm just building at the moment, which I can, wait, I've gone off the tangent. But yeah, to, because there's not much money in podcasting, or at least until you've got a million listeners or whatever. And generally, they need to be things that you don't edit much, don't take much work. It's just sitting down and recording most of the time, and then a few bits dropped on top of that. But the work Ben puts into Beef and Dairy seems massive. You know, the, the finish on it is fantastic. Yeah. Um, and it's it's so, it's like, solidly full of jokes as well. Um, so, yeah, I that's, in terms of comedy podcasts, that's sort of up there. Um I listen to Adam Buxton quite a lot because I think he's an, yes, an interesting yeah. interview. It's actually it's because it, I came to it because I like his stupid comedy, and actually he's almost a better interviewer than he is a you know it, it's it, well not a better one. What do I mean? He's got he's 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 really good at it, and he's very interesting, and he has interesting yeah, people yeah, on, yeah. and I'll generally um, I can that's one I can easily listen to for quite a long long period of time. So does it tend to be comedy or comedy adjacent in terms of the, the people well, maybe who are not. I, su- it I suppose that, um, no, I listen to, there's one called Poetry Unbound, where there's a guy called Podrico Tuma, I think. I might have said his name wrong. But he's got a beautiful voice. And also, each episode is just him reading a poem, talking about the poem, and then reading it again. And they're not his poems. They're sort of from a wide variety of people. But they're very good. They're really good. He's he's just he's very good at sort of taking a poem apart or or 
or telling you maybe what he would listen for in it or the rest of it. Um, the only yeah. problem is they're quite short. They're sort of 10, 15 minutes. And I find it, uh, you sort of want something you can put on and it'll keep playing for a while. That's the problem with a podcast. Yeah. In our, we have a, a weekly podcast club where we talk about different shows and there's a, a wide variety in people thinking, I really want a 10 minute show that I can just sit down and listen right. to. And then some people who want, a show to be ideally three to five hours long <laughs> and it can just be in the background lasting as long as possible. Yeah, I have a, I mean, I, do, I often listen to podcasts while I'm doing something else and that might be washing up or it might be, um, you know, driving or whatever. So I suppose that's the long one. I do have a pet hate, which is podcasts where Ooh. there's sort of 40 minutes of not talking about what the podcast is about before they even yes. get to the, yeah. th- I, and some of those are wildly successful. And I just think yes. just it doesn't take much to go on Audacity and remove 35 minutes. Of... <laughs> but I think, I think, yeah, so that's something I find a little, uh, that's, my, that's, my, that's my pet ache, especially if it's something I'm interested in hearing about. Um, and then yeah. my other pet ache is American podcasts ho- hosted by three men who all sound identical. So you can't tell who's speaking at any moment <laughs> in time. <laughs> I, I, for both of those, I, I'm, I think I can guess some of the podcasts you're alluding to. All right, interesting, good. Yeah, yeah. I, I won't name drop them in case I want to get any of those people on the show. I'd say that's a good idea for both our, our careers. Yeah, that that's probably wise. Yeah, you mentioned that you're working on a new podcast idea that's coming together. Can you say anything about that? I guess I can. Even if it's loose at the moment. Well, no, actually, it's fine. It's mine, so there's no reason I should spoil it. Um, <laughs> we're doing a putting a podcast together. It's called Sound Heap Taste Pod, and the idea is it's a, a podcast made as a, a by a fictional podcast network, which does like tasters of all its different mm. podcasts. So basically, I'm sitting down oh, right, yeah. over Zoom with different comics and improvising stupid podcasts, and then we're starting to patch that together. Um, and the aim with that is sort of, again, it's the industry thing. It's like how much work do you have yeah, to put into yeah. it? And it's coming up with what's effectively a sketch show format. But hopefully what we've done is you just need the premise for a sketch and then you improvise the sketch. So you don't need to spend all the time you would be writing it or the yeah. rest of it. Um, I'm starting a sim- I, I'm aiming to start a similar show, I think, later today. Oh, no. Um <laughs> well, it's it's slightly different though, in that uh, it's meant to be a different improvised podcast each time, but based on a randomly selected "They Might Be Giants" song. Oh, that's fun! Um, and because I've got a playlist that's about twenty four hours long of a load of different songs, it's going to be wildly different each time. And we fun. did one test that we didn't record, and that that went quite well. My friend Paul Foxcroft, who's a, a comic and an improviser. He w- he had a great plan of doing a a comedy night where each act would be themed around one a different one of the songs in fingertips. Oh yes, <laughs> but I don't think he's. <laughs> that ever... would be great. I think I need to get him to do it. Uh, I'll probably have to edit in an explanation of fingertips here and play a play a section. Yeah, fingertips is a suite of songs recorded for the 1992 album Apollo 18 by They Might Be Giants, featuring 21 short songs, nearly all of them under 30 seconds long. For example... Everything is catching, yes, everything is catching on fire. 
boobs, fingertips. I hear the wind blow, I hear the wind blow. It seems to say, hello, hello, I'm the one who loves you so. Have you seen them do yeah. it live? I've seen a couple of videos of it. I haven't seen it myself. It's, no. uh, it's, it's quite something. The weird thing is too, I don't know if you find this, is sort of knowing what comes next just from having heard yes. it so many times. Yes. Do you know the, the context in which they made Fingertips originally? Uh, I, I know the album, but I don't know the context of... So it, it came out... Apollo 18, the album Fingertips was on, came out immediately after... Well, or soon after Shuffle had first been right. kind of put out. So the idea was that you'd have these tiny little tracks mm-hmm. in between all of the others. Yeah. Um, and it would be mixed up. But when they, whenever they perform it live, I'm almost slightly disappointed they don't randomise the order somehow. Well, you see, this is the weird... Right, because actually, it turns out, I did know that because my dad told me that because he had the album. I was also, I must say, because I found this weird album in the house and started listening to it, which was Apollo 18. And then um, I was annoyed to find out it was my dad's, not my brother, because I, I think I held my brother as being slightly cooler than my dad. Um, yeah. But yeah. then he said that about the shuffle. The thing is, on the album we had, I'm sure it was just one track and it wasn't shuffleable. Yes, in the European version. They oh, made right. But the American version I see. was the 22 different ones. Well, that thank you. That's really... Um, that I've had that puzzle in the back of my head for years. <laughs> so... Well, yeah, I, I'm... I mean, right, sit right next to me, I've got two Giants posters. Ah, uh, yeah. For, to be self-indulgent, do you have a favourite They Might Be Giants album? Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, the one I listen to most is Flood. Yeah. Um, but I, I don't think there's one I haven't liked. But no, I think Flood is my favourite. I think... Um, no, I, I think it's... I mean, Flood is the one I listen to. I yeah. basically either put all of They Might Be Giants on shuffle... Yes. Or I listen to because <laughs> I like there's so just so many of them. It's kind of nice to have the surprise of whatever yeah. pops up. I've got just I've got a list on my desktop of songs that aren't on Spotify or any any service where you can buy them. Oh yeah, that I'm just trying to find on different parts of the internet. It's about thirty songs long, right? That are full songs that aren't out anywhere properly, and yeah. so my list is just growing daily. Right, that's interesting. I had years ago. I got. I had the CD called Then. I think, which was lots of their kind of old. Yeah. But, then the earlier years. Yeah, but I don't have that now because I don't have a CD player, and I regret not <laughs> having it. Um, yeah. Yeah. It was uh, last summer when I when I went back home and we'd been clearing out the house. Um, it turns out I had a lot of, of CDs of theirs before I was even a proper fan of theirs. Oh. Just because my dad would pass them on and go, "Oh, you might like this," and then I. I go, no, I'm not going to listen. <laughs> and then I, so I had the spine and a couple of compilation things as well. Ah, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, oh, this, this is a, a weird, um, a weird intersection. Speaking of you and they might be giants. And you mentioned your Twitch streams mm-hmm. uh, as well. Um, you, where you've been live streaming as Jeffrey Chaucer. Yes. Yes. Uh, uh, I'll come on to the, intersection thing in a second but um where 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 did that come from um actually sorry can i just i need to let someone in and then i'll come back and yeah, ask yeah, the yeah of, course, of right. course of course <laughs> sorry um i nearly spilled a coffee um you went it with chaucer start um i did i first did him for a show i did a few years ago called look on my work she mighty in despair all in caps i 
it was shortly after, it was about a year or two after leaving clown school, I'd found out that it was, um, if you if I want, need to, want to do something idiotic, it's quite helpful for me to kind of disrupt my voice in some way um, so it's not yes. quite so thinky. Um, and so the puzzle of, <laughs> I think it was, just, I just hit on the idea it was funny to, because uh, at well, university, I one of the part I did, I studied English and we studied, studied medieval literature. So in the back of my head, yeah. there was always the, you know, in April when the shower is salter and all the, like these stupid voices people put on to read Chaucer, which yeah. they think are the right one. They think, well, how do you know that? I don't. And then obviously <laughs> on the page, it's all spelt. It looks like modern English, but spelt wrong. And it was just yeah, like exactly. the idiot approach to that was, okay, well, I'll be Geoffrey Chaucer then and I'll do this. And then from just, I, I, when I originally played him, he would always have just had his clothes stolen by a fairy. So there was this kind of, so I'd run on stage with just this sheet hanging over me and I made a, a fake, um, a, a fake penis out of some modeling balloons. So that there was also this game of like, he keeps accidentally exposing himself and then covering himself up while he's doing the, uh, speaking yes. in this, you know, yeah, I'm Jeffrey Chaucer, a poot, you know, from the post, a medieval poot. Um, and that it beca- it's basically the joke from Hello, Hello, the 80s sitcom, where there was a, yeah. an English yeah, person pretending to be a French. But you change the vowels, and then one is funny because it's stupid, because the words sound wrong. Two, occasionally a word, if you change the vowel in the middle, starts to sound rude. And then there's also fun to be had in explaining you know, saying a word that the audience don't understand and then the act of explaining it becomes a joke in itself using yes, more indeed, nonsense yeah. words. The main thing is it's quite good game or hurdle, like, because I've got to do a lot of mental running around in it so I can't overthink things. And yeah. uh, that, I think, is that's one of the things. I, I enjoy doing it for that reason because it sort of surprised me, but I think it's also funny because I'm yeah. not... Uh, because it generally reduces me to a bit of an idiot while I'm doing it. Yeah. One of the members of, of the Podcast Society asked, uh, gave me a question to, to ask you about this, which is, why is Chaucer dressed as a shrub? Well, that comes from the original show. Um, it's because <laughs> there was the idea that he'd been... Um, he he, he uh, went to the... He went to a pand, you know, a, a, like a you know, pand, like a brock, like a pot of water, <laughs> you know, like lond, but what? <laughs> <laughs> and uh, tack off me clathers for a splish blosh blash. And then me clathers were Stalin be a be a fairy, you know, a fairy, like a gabolin, you know, like a, uh, <laughs> a, a, like a Danny Devoto with wangs. Uh, <laughs> so that was the, yeah, that was the gag. And so that's why I originally didn't wear clothes on. And then I thought, yeah. I can't, one, you're not allowed to have your nipples out on Twitch. And two, I don't particularly feel like it. So it was, what can I wear? And I had this yeah. costume that I'd made. And in my head, it makes sense. There's something weird and kind of, you know, pastoral, medieval about wearing yeah. a flower crown and the rest of it. Um, and it's a more interesting costume than just, you know, because the painting of him, I think, is generally just a kind of grey or blue cloak. Black and a, shawl. Yeah, yeah, and like a, a dark hat. And that's not very interesting. In the original trailer for the show... Um, that you had Chaucer in the the part where you um, let the robe slip and then there and then it shows the penis is pixelated so you can't tell it's a balloon. <laughs> well, the, actually, the weird thing is, loads of people who saw that show in real life 
didn't because really, uh, most people or a lot of people well there's i would guess two different types of reaction but a lot of people's reaction to it is to immediately look away when the thing comes <laughs> so loads yeah, of people yeah. thought i was naked um but i wasn't and um it was a bit uh, yeah but I, th- I generally thought it was it was slightly more it's actually more embarrassing to do it with this fake thing than it would have been to do it uh actually nude because it it's only really that kind of nudity if 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 uh, the the i think the embarrassed kind of covering yourself up is quite a funny nudity to have on stage if nudity's yeah. too like if it's somebody who's too confident with it it's either you know it, it's not it loses something you want you need something which you feel absolutely ridiculous doing yeah i think it reminds me of there's I think there's a, a stand-up like variety thing that happens at the fringe some years where it's just a f- it's it's like the fast fringe thing where it's a few minutes of a load of different people shows but the deal is if you want to be on here you have to be naked. I think there's the naked cabaret where the audience have to be naked too. I, is that the one? And then it's that, do the, well, the audience have to be naked. I hadn't so heard that. So but there's wait there's another thing. There's spank which is the late night thing at the underbelly. Where I, th- I think that might be what I'm thinking of. Where they have a like a spot you can come on and plug your show, but you have to do it. Yeah, do it naked. I think that well, it sort of went out of fashion a bit, but it will come back. A few years yeah. ago, you couldn't move for nudity at the fringe. One of the weirdest shows I saw last time was it started with this guy. Frank Foucault came out on stage and he did a strip tease, but he was and he was wearing this suit. But when he strip teased the suit off, there was another suit on underneath, <laughs> another full one with a tie, and then he strip teased that off again, and he was still wearing that. And then later on in the show, I ended up being pulled up on stage to to do to do some audience interactiony stuff, and he made me put the suit on, and then he played the strip tease music, and I had to, <laughs> I had to do that. So I I enjoy telling people without context that I've done a strip tease at the fringe uh, on stage without, without, explain well, depending it. on who it is, I'll explain <laughs> it. For example, if, if my mum overhears this, I feel like I need to, yes, I need to explain that. I understand. Her. Yes. I understand. <laughs> oh, what was the, the, sorry, the to... Oh yes. Is this it? Right. Yeah. The Chaucer the, yeah, my the, vaginas the wind... thing. I, I wrote an essay last year, in my Chaucer module. Right. About Chaucer, um, through the lens of Flood, all right, and the Canterbury Tales, uh, in because ter- there's a, a book about Flood, um, which talks about the kind of density of different ideas in it, in, in the different songs, both lyrically and musically, where it changes between loads of different modes and things very, very fast. Hmm. Um, and they referred to that as kind of creative flooding, where you've got this just overflow of of ideas, and by putting them all out there, just in any order, it becomes. It means that there's this kind of free play of the the ideas with one another, and they are kind of free to in, interact with each other in all these different strange ways. And the argument of the essay is that's what Chaucer does with the Canterbury Tales is, is that there's all these different ideas interacting with each other, um, yes. and all these different viewpoints and opinions. And it's just kind of. Um, it feels like there's an over an overwhelming amount of different things that he's trying to fit in there. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that sounds really and interesting. So, I mean, actually, I think that's... A weird I, crossover. Yeah, and I have a, a an affinity with that style of work, I think. I think it's a... You know, you give too much and then uh, 
I love to make a show where the audience doesn't can't quite catch up or always feeling yes. like there's just one, you know, you as soon as they understand the terms of something, you change it so that there's something else to surprise them with. Um, so, yes, in that way, I am yeah. very like Geoffrey Chaucer. Thank you. <laughs> exactly. Uh, you're the after, after Me Comes the Flood show, mm-hmm. I remember you did a couple of really long bits and then you just... Um, and then you went straight on to a joke, which was, I think it was nearly an emergency, call 998. Yeah. Yeah. And it was just that. And then you moved straight on to the next thing. And because and, we've been spending the whole time trying to like go, okay, which one of these is it? And figuring it out over the course of the thing. And then you do that and we're like, oh, it's that one. Oh, cross that off the list. Oh, like, <laughs> he's doing another thing now. Oh, uh. and it's that kind of game that you end up playing as the, uh, as the audience member of whatever it is. I think it's... Um, I like looking at things like Chaucer and and just other things as to try and find if there's some kind of game in there to to play with it. Mm. I think that's that's about all of my questions. Okay. Um, so yeah, thank you so much for for doing this. This is fan. This is fantastic. No worries. Thank you for having me. I'm, yeah. I hope it's, it's um, useful in some way. It's incredibly useful. Where can people go to see more of your stuff in all its various forms? Um, so my website is johnlukeroberts.co.uk. Uh, you can find links to everything there. My Twitter feed is um, jlukeroberts. And I'm on Twitch now. Also, jlukeroberts on Twitch. So that's what I'll be doing for the foreseeable. <laughs> yes. Oh, and one last thing while I remember. You you did a tweet a while ago, which was one like equals one made up podcast. Oh, yeah. And then you've been stuck doing hundreds and hundreds of those. Yeah. How have you managed to stay committed to doing all <laughs> well, of actually, those over such a long period of time? I, well, I, it's a, I've dug this particular hole for myself before. I did a like a dystopia version of it in March. I did like one like equals one yeah. dystopian reality. Um, I just, I don't know. It seems, <laughs> every now and then I'm doing it, I think, oh, this is a lot. Uh, and nobody's uh, not there's no money at this but actually the the podcast list is what we're basing the podcast I'm making on oh right yeah so um I, I am putting it to some use and I've decided at 500 I'm um not putting them on Twitter anymore I'm keeping them to myself because it's uh... <laughs> <laughs> so I think I've got 93 left or something maybe more do, do they end up coming from like twists on existing things or are they just completely oh it's born a mixture. out of your genius it's a mixture of well i'm not sure any genius is involved but i will either it's a title which seems funny or it's something stupid or occasionally i listen to a podcast and it irritates me for some reason and so i obliquely reference it in a in a tweet I'm looking forward to those episodes. Thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. No worries. Um, uh, thank you. Thanks again to John Luke Roberts for joining us on Podcast Society Presents. Follow us on Twitter at Exeter Podcast and at facebook.com slash podcast society. And make sure to subscribe to this podcast feed as well to hear more episodes like our interviews with No Such Thing as a Fish and our upcoming interview with Alex Horn. And if you're at Exeter University, why not come along to some of our socials as well? 
the music you can hear playing now as the intro and outro to many of these episodes is playing with Wildcard's Club Mosses theme by Samir Shataro, which you can find at samirshataro.bandcamp.com in the album Faces of Falaran. Thank you so much for listening. Goodbye.